0: Let's continue before the Lord in prayer. Almighty and most merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that apart from Him, we can do nothing. And We thank You, Father, that in Him we can do all things as we look to Him, as we trust Him and Him alone. Help us to do that in this hour and in all the succeeding days for our good and His glory. Give us ears to hear this word this day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our scripture reading this morning is Philippians 3. Philippians 3. We'll read verses 1 to 17. Philippians 3. This is God's holy and infallible word. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. "'Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. "'If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, "'I have more. "'Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, "'of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, "'in regard to the law, a Pharisee. "'As for zeal, persecuting the church. "'As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. "'But whatever was to my profit, "'I now consider loss for the sake of Christ.' I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too, God, will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, when I was last here, um, November the 5th in the evening, I had the occasion, the opportunity, the blessing to preach a sermon basically on justification by faith alone. I spoke on what was called, I called, the genius of the Reformation. And we looked at Psalm 15, seeing how not just in certain New Testament text does God teach this great doctrine to us, just in Paul as we see it here today, but throughout the Bible. And we saw something of the dimensions of that great doctrine. And we're gonna be thinking about that again this morning. We're gonna be thinking about some of the aspects of justification, but we're also gonna be thinking now too about sanctification and how they are properly distinguished, and we must distinguish them. Or we don't have the Reformed Church in any proper sense, but we also must not divide them. We must not sunder them apart. So we want to think about that. And what I want to take for you, and this is a little different for you, no doubt. Uh, I'm sure all of you, particularly older ones of you, have heard perhaps maybe more than you care, catechism sermons in your life. But I suspect you've not heard catechism sermons from the Westminster larger catechism. I'm preaching through that. And you say, oh my goodness, why would you even mention that? Well, here's why. The Westminster Larger Catechism has a question that's unlike any question in any catechism. And in fact, this is somebody you may know, Bob Godfrey, a good friend of mine, former president of Westminster Seminary, president emeritus in California, and a a fixture at ligoneer. So you may know Bob. And Bob is a good reformed fellow a good Reformed man, but he says, he says and assures us that this question in the larger catechism, question 77, is a question that he calls the most important question in catechism. That's amazing, especially coming from a Heidelberg man. Uh, Listen to what the question is. The question is this, wherein do justification and sanctification differ Wherein do justification and sanctification differ? And this gets at the heart of the Reformation. And the answer is this. Although sanctification be inseparably joined with justification, Yet they differ in that God in justification imputes the righteousness of Christ. In sanctification, His Spirit infuses grace and enables to the exercise thereof. In the former justification, sin is pardoned. In the other, sanctification, it is subdued. The one justification does equally free all believers from the revenging wrath of God, and that perfectly in this life, that they never fall into condemnation. The other, sanctification, is neither equal in all, nor in this life perfect in any, but growing up to perfection. And I would submit to you that our text this morning that I read, our scripture text, from Philippians 3, very much gets at this, this important distinction between the two and this important summing of the two up, of their relationship, of their inseparability. So, what we're going to be talking about, dear congregation, is this. It's crucial to distinguish justification and sanctification, and it's also crucial not to divide them. Distinguishing justification and sanctification is crucial, we've said here, for reformational fidelity. The Roman Catholic Church's error in this respect has been to subsume everything under justification. If you heard that last sermon, this is a little bit of review. The declaration of righteousness. Justification is God declaring us to be righteousness. And we see that our Roman Catholic friends believe that sanctification is unto justification. In other words, one is justified, one is declared righteous, according to our Roman Catholic friends, when in, only when one is sanctified, that is to say, made righteous. The process of justification, and that's how it's seen by our Roman Catholic friends, begins with initial justification in baptism, continues through the life as grace is infused by the seven sacraments, ending with extreme unction, the last rites. And the soul of the departed going to purgatory, unless you're a saint, going to purgatory to be there to be thoroughly sanctified so that we might be finally justified. This is the teaching of that church. And go to heaven. This misconception of justification and sanctification, you see how they mix them together this misconception is why for us as Protestant and Reformed, it's crucial to distinguish justification and sanctification. Now let me just stop here and say, you might be thinking, I don't really like what you're doing here. This is mean. I have many Roman Catholic friends. I do too. There are many good people. Of course they are. But any honest Roman Catholic would say, yes, I just fairly described the difference between us. It's never respect to not be honest. That's not respect, that's silliness, that's childishness. We need to be able to be honest. I mean that's the problem with our whole civil scene these days. We don't seem to be able to be honest without being embittered. And that's not the way it should be. We should be able to speak about what real differences may be and respect and care for each other. So it's crucial to distinguish them, but also it's crucial not to divide them. As some radical reformers, you had those who were called radical reformers at the time, the Anabaptists and others, making sanctification, you might say, something desirable, but optional, a sort of second blessing. And this kind of rhetoric remains in some broader evangelical circles. It's spoken of in this way, someone will say, well, you know Jesus as Savior, that's good, now you need to make Him your Lord. But you never know Jesus as Savior without bowing to Him as Lord. That's on the other side of the equation from our evangelical friends, a fundamental misconception. No one who comes to Christ and has a saving knowledge of Him has failed to bow to Him as Lord. For anyone who divides these two then, antinomianism on the one hand looms or legalism on the other hand. The Westminster assembly that put together this catechism and confession and so forth that I just quoted from fought antinomianism very hard. That was a great concern of theirs as did all the reformers. So here's what we have before us now. We have before us what, as I mentioned, Godfrey has called the most important question in the Reformed Catechisms, number 77, that focuses both on why we must distinguish justification and sanctification, and why we must not divide them. Well, let's begin by saying, note how Paul distinguishes them in Philippians 3. Philippians 3 is a very important passage. I preached here on Psalm 15 where I talked about this, but if we look briefly in these first 11 verses of Philippians 3, it will serve as a kind of review. We see here that justification is not a matter of anything that Paul was, had, or can do. Notice this, please. It was not due Paul's justification ultimately was not due to his ethnic or religious background. It was not due to his law-keeping or anything else, his faith, his works. No, it was not due to his birth, his zeal. Union with Christ is all that it was due to. It was due solely, as Philippians 3.9 says, to his union with Christ, whereby all of Christ's merits and mediation became Paul's. And, of course, Paul tells us in verse 17 that we're to, to imitate him in that way. We're to trust Christ as he did, and we're to walk with Christ as he did. This union with Christ in all of his keeping of the law for us and in his dying on the cross for our sins is something that comes about by faith, by resting and trusting in him alone. And you remember faith is not just a matter of knowledge. It's not just a matter of belief, but it's a matter finally of trust, of entrusting yourself, of giving yourself over to Christ, Paul, in other words, had all the righteousness that he needed and was justified, was declared righteous, not by his own righteousness, not by his law keeping, but as Philippians 3, 9 says, «by faith alone in Christ alone». And this passage is very dear to me for a number of reasons. I think I had mentioned back in the late summer, having recently come from the funeral of a very dear friend. I had preached the funeral, and this text, 3, 1 to 11, was my text for his funeral, and this fellow was an extremely capable do-it-yourselfer. I mean, he was a master carpenter by trade and training. But not only could he do carpentry, he could do all the kind of stuff that I dabble in a bit and then call the plumber or call the mechanic or call somebody to really help me do this correctly. This fellow could do it all. But I made very clear to the, to the big crowd at his funeral... And many knew this, some didn't. I said, Joe was a do-it-yourselfer, except when it came to a righteousness that will give us a right standing before a holy God. When it comes to a righteousness that would give us a right standing before a holy God, Joe, my friend, did not rely on his goodness, his law-keeping, his being a moral, upstanding, gracious, kind, loving person. He depended only on the righteousness of Christ. And he received that righteousness as a gift because Luther discovered, and I said this last time, that the righteousness that Christ, the righteousness that God requires, and that drove Luther crazy virtually, God gives as a gift, received by faith alone. Received by faith alone to all who will believe in Him, to all who will trust Him and Him alone. You see, Paul believes both that he has the righteousness that he needs through faith alone in Christ alone. And that he also needs to be further sanctified. Notice this now as you go down below verse 11, particularly in verses 12 and following. Paul does not tie in, notice this, Paul does not tie in the perfect righteousness of justification with that that is infused, that is, that is put in us in sanctification. And he doesn't make the former justification dependent on the ladder. No, he still wants to attain, notice this, he still wants to attain resurrection. Verse 11, Paul recognizes that sanctification is always partial in this life. He says this clearly in verse 12, I haven't obtained, I haven't obtained. Now he has that perfect righteousness of Christ. Look again, I just want you to be really clear on this if you've never been clear on it. In verse nine, he says, I am found in Christ because I've gained Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. So he has that. That's clear. So, what's he talking about when he says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect? I thought he just said he had a perfect righteousness from Christ. He does, and that's called justification. But God not only justifies us, He sanctifies us. That is to say, He works in us day by day so that we die to sin and live to righteousness. So that we walk with Him in all His ways. He says, I haven't obtained. I'm not already perfect. And if Paul can say that again, he says in verse 17, you know, keep joining and imitating me. I trust nobody here is going to say, well, strange, step aside. I have obtained. Paul didn't, but I have. Does anyone really wish to say that? That you've exceeded Paul? I don't think so. No. No. Paul presses on, we see, in sanctification to become such. He forgets what lies behind, he says, that which would paralyze him from his failures or which would puff him up from his successes. And he presses Ahead, All this is to say that he properly distinguished justification, which he has, and that perfectly. He has a perfect standing before holy God. Do you notice how the the catechism puts it? In justification, sin is pardoned, and justification equally frees all believers. The weakest believer in this room. The weakest believer. That's not... In the sight of God, as you come before Him to be received of Him, you need to come on the basis of the righteousness of Christ, trusting in nothing else. And on that basis, you will be received along with all other believers. It frees all believers from God's wrath, and that perfectly in this life. Perfectly. This is the discovery of Luther, of Calvin, of Zwingli, of Knox, of the Reformation. You say, they didn't understand that before that? No, not clearly. This is why we had one, a reformation. Free all believers that they never fall into condemnation. But the other, sanctification is neither equal in all nor in this life perfect in any, but growing up to perfection. That's where children of God differ. Some are more sanctified than others. Voss in his commentary on the larger catechism puts it this way. He says, here are points in which justification and sanctification differ. I'm, I'm just summarizing this now for you. Justification is an act of God's free grace. It's an act by which God imputes Christ's righteousness. It's an act in which God pardons sin, total and equal in all cases, complete and perfect in this life, a judicial verdict which frees from condemnation and awards eternal life. Everybody in this room who trusts Jesus Christ alone. You keep, why do you keep saying alone? Because it can't be a mixture. It can't be, well, I trust Jesus mostly, but also myself some too, because, you know, let's face it, I'm pretty good. No. No. Christ alone. Well, I trust my upbringing. I tr- no, d- go back and read Paul. You can't trust any of that. You can't say, well, my upbringing makes me a good person. No. This is open to all, and it's closed to any who will rely on anything else. Paul says, I counted all that stuff, but a loss. He says, I counted it as rubbish. And the actual Greek word is a lot stronger than rubbish. It's like something on the bottom of your shoe that doesn't smell good that you accidentally stepped in. That's the word! All of my righteousness, the prophet says, they're filthy rags. No trust in that. That's justification. But now sanctification. Here's what sanctification is. It's a work of God's free grace. It's an inner ongoing reality. It's a work by which God infuses grace and power. It's a work in which He subdues sin, different in degrees in different persons. It's incomplete and imperfect in this life. Because if you're saying, but pastor, I've still got so far to go. I fall so short. I have sins of my mind, of my words, of my deeds, but I oh my goodness. Well, yes, and we keep working on that. That's what Paul says. I haven't obtained. I keep pressing forward. Well, This brings us to the reality of the two must, though distinguished, must not be divided or divorced. You see, if we divide them, if we divorce them, as we said, this leads to just lawlessness. A devil-may-care attitude. And so some people on the other side of the equation will say, hey, I like this justification thing. I'm cleansed, I'm free, I'm pardoned. I can just do whatever I want to. But you see, if you are free, cleansed, pardoned, the question is, what do you as a new man, as a new woman in Christ want to do? In your deepest new self, in the deepest self that you are in Christ, you want to walk with Him. You want to walk with Him. And everything that falls short of that makes you mourn. It makes you grieve. You wish that it weren't so. I want this thing to stay on my ear, but it doesn't seem to be doing it today for some reason. So you don't want to say, well, I'm justified. I'm good. I can live as I please. That's Paul's not Paul's language, is it? Note here that Paul's language indicates nothing of the sort. He says, look at the strength of the language there. It's actually muted It's a bit tamped down in the English. It's very strong in the Greek. In verse 12, he says, I press on. In verse 13, he says, straining forward. Then in verse 14, he says, I press on toward the gold. And he talks about what we've attained. Yes, no matter how often we struggle with uncharitable thoughts of others, with greed, with lust, with pride, with envy, with sloth, with gluttony, with anger. We press on. We get right back up and back into the fight that is the Christian life. It's helpful to think about this two different ways of dealing, justification and sanctification. This would be a whole nother sermon, but I'm just going to mention this. If you look at Ephesians 5 and the way that a husband is to love his wife, he says he's to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You could call that, if you read it carefully and understand what's being said there, that's a justifying love. And then it goes on to say, so that he might sanctify her, cleanse her by the washing of the water of the word. So a husband is to have this justifying love and a sanctifying love for his wife. We're all to have this for each other. But Paul really points this out particularly in Ephesians 5. And what does that mean? What is the justifying love that the husband is to have for his wife? What does it mean in practical terms? It means he can say to her and Should say to her and must say to her at every given moment, I love you, I fully accept you just as you are, because that's the way we come to Christ, just as I am, without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me. It is not proper that a husband foundationally say and in any way communicate, I'll accept you when. I'll accept you when, you know, you're a better whatever, a better wife, a better mother, a better. Fill in the blank. No, I accept you now completely. You say, yeah, but but doesn't he want to help her be better? That's the sanctifying aspect. But you've got to distinguish them. If a husband doesn't, all his wife will hear is, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not accepted. I'm not accepted. And that's quite wrong and sinful because that isn't what the Lord says to you. He's saying, I accept you right now, completely, just as you are. Yes, I want you to be the fullness of who you can be in me. I want you to be everything you should be in me. I want you to be, but I'm not waiting for you to become that to love you. This is the importance of this. If you're like, this is just a bunch of doctrine. It doesn't have any meaning. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, it's very, very, very meaningful. It's very meaningful for your life. And it is just husbands that need to deal with wives. That I mean, that's kind of the, 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 the centerpiece of that. But really, all of us need to deal with each other, justifyingly accepting one another and at the same time wanting to help one another on to be the best you, right? To be the best you. That's what justification and sanctification is about. All this language doesn't imply, as Paul goes on in 12 to 17, doesn't imply presumption or apathy, but agonizing effort. As I said, in the Greek you see this especially. Agonizing effort and pressing towards the goal. So Paul says, Thank God I have a righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. That's justification. I'm good, so to speak. And on the other hand, on the other hand, I press on. I have not obtained. I've not made it. I'm still striving. All the while knowing God's perfect acceptance. If truth be told, we're often very bad at this. We're not that good at it. Because we deal with each other. We mix it all up. We don't distinguish. We don't seem to be able to. One of the the ways it's really... uh, It's really hard sometimes is with your children, especially as your children get older. And maybe they're not doing just as what you would have them to do. They're not living, maybe they're not living according to God's word. How do you deal with that? Well, you deal with it in a justifying, sanctifying way. And I can't spell out every bit of this. You say, oh, I want to hear all that spelled out. Well, you have to think about it. Because I can't do all that in this one sermon. But I'm telling you the importance of distinguishing the two. Because if you just deal with people on the basis of sanctification, you're going to be saying, not good enough, not good enough. Your acceptance with me, your being on a good standing with me, is provisional. It's provisional. Like this microphone staying in my ear, it's provisional. Paul knows both that justification and sanctification are distinguished, and he knows that they're never sundered or divided. Notice the way he puts it in verse 15. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. What way? That we must forget what's behind and press on to what's forward, that we're not perfect, that we must press on because Christ has made me his own, that we must say i press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of god in christ he says let those of us who are mature think this way you see this isn't insecurity but maturity it is insecurity if you don't get the distinction and you think it's all about sanctification And you think, well, I'll be accepted with a holy God when I deserve it, and you'll be accepted with me when you deserve it. Wow. You never deserve it in that sense. Ever. God graciously accepts you and at the same time works in you to make you what you should be. Voss points this out. He says, Justification and sanctification are inseparably joined together. There is no justification without sanctification. There's no sanctification without justification. The person, who one has, the person who has one has the other also. God is the author and the source of both justification and sanctification. And notice this, they both proceed from God's grace or his special love and favor to sinners because it's all of grace. Your salvation is all of grace. God has no children that he justifies, that he fails to sanctify. He does both. But they must be distinguished so that we can understand the access full and free that we have now to the throne of grace as the basis of our assurance so that we can listen to this, and it's a little twist of what I said last time when I was here, so that we can joyfully live for Christ, not so that we might gain his blessing but because we have his blessing. Understanding justification means you understand if you trust in Christ, you have everything. You have the blessing of God. And because you have the blessing of God, all of your seeking to live for him is not to secure that blessing. You have it. Well, what is it? Well, the third part of the Heidelberg is to express your thankfulness and gratitude for having it. God has so loved me, and God accepts even me. He died for the ungodly. He justifies the ungodly. And so I want to live for him. I'll just do this. I want to live for him. Not so as to win his favor, but because I have his favor. What's our takeaway? If you trust Christ alone for your salvation, all of this... That we saw in question 77 is true about you. This should thrill your heart. That all your problems doesn't bar you from the presence of a holy God. He accepts you for for the work and the love of Christ. And then He's working in you to mature you. That's what Paul says to make you more like Christ. Yes, you've not yet obtained, you've not attained full sanctification. That only comes in glory. That shouldn't stress you. Press on in all the ways that Paul urges you, not flagging, not despairing, but day by day maturing as you walk in his grace, preparing for heavenly glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this word and pray that... Every waiting heart would be encouraged to know that you accept us full and free in Jesus Christ. And in him, you're making us over to be more and more who we should be. Oh, Lord, we long for that day in which all things come to pass. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.